Right Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm Jonathan Plucker. It's something parents know, but the rest of the world often forgets. Being gifted doesn't mean you're perfect. In fact, bright kids can have learning disabilities and other challenges. Gifted kids with these and other special needs are often known as twice exceptional or 2E children. Meeting the needs of twice exceptional kids can be a challenge for both parents and educators. My guest today is here to help us figure all of this out. Megan Foley-Nickpon is a counseling psychology professor at the University of Iowa and a psychologist and researcher at the Bell & Blank Center for Gifted Education and Talent Development. Megan, welcome to Bright Now. Thanks, Jonathan, for having me. Happy to be here. What originally got you interested in studying and working with twice exceptional students? Well, in graduate school, I worked with Barb Kerr, and most of our work was in researching and working clinically with talented at-risk girls. And so I had this interest in working with high-ability women and girls, but then also girls who had risk factors that would prevent them from actualizing their gifts. And then when I got to the Bell and Blank Center as a postdoc, I was working in the clinic there, and I recognized that most of the parents that came in to have their children assessed or seen noticed that their child wasn't performing up to their abilities. And so it made me realize that we were really missing a whole cadre of high-ability youth because they were also diagnosed with a disability. I recognized a need that really wasn't being filled throughout the country. And the Bell and Blank Center, I think we were one of the first to really add to the knowledge base on twice exceptionality. That's really interesting, in part because it kind of parallels how I became interested in this topic. Early in my career, I was an elementary school teacher. Uh, It was a suburban, upper-middle-class district. Uh, We uh, had lots of talented kids and lots of parent support. But we had one student who was uh, very dyslexic, and he really, really, really struggled with it. And and this is a long time ago now, but I was surprised at the number of teachers and administrators who just— didn't never crossed their mind that he was also talented. And yet, if their VCR broke, this tells you how long ago this was, they brought the VCR in for him to fix for them. In a tactile and spatial way, he was one of the most gifted students I have ever seen. But people had such a hard time looking past the disability. I regretted it for 25 years now that we just didn't serve his needs the way that we probably should have just because we couldn't get past that hang up. So I think this is a pretty universal concern. I agree. I think that when kids' disability is recognized first, it's very hard for educators and parents to also see that their child could have gifts that aren't being met. I think that is a universal situation we see in schools. And oftentimes parents say, but wait, they're good at fixing VCR machines. They're incredible at home in terms of art, or they're good visual spatial learners. And If kids don't fit into that educational box, it's hard for us to recognize that they have strengths on one end of the normal curve as well as possibly deficits on the other end. Yeah, uh, that's a a theme that we've had thus far on this 
podcast, Megan, is that bright kids, like all kids, are very complex creatures. And there's no black and white. It's often shades of gray, right? I, but let's, um, I am conscious of the fact that within education, we can get kind of jargony. And I think that can really put parents, students, even teachers off sometimes. So let's take a half step back here. And is there a fairly accessible, well-agreed upon definition of what twice exceptional means? That's a really good question. And I was involved in two different groups who were trying to answer that question because, as you know, if we don't have a good agreed upon definition, it's very hard to recommend best practices or things that work best with this population of learners. So we have good definitions for disability due to special education being mandated through the federal government. But as you know, and I know, an identification of being gifted or high ability really depends a lot of times on where you live in terms of what services you're identified for. So this group came together to create a definition that we view as kind of a wide net of how you conceptualize twice exceptionality. So thinking of having one or more talent domains in an academic and or visual arts, performing arts, some domain, but then also having an identified disability. The ones that are researched the most are ADHD, learning disabilities, and autism. But my definition, I take a broader look at that too, and I think of students with physical disabilities as well as students with other mental health concerns like anxiety and depression. So how this group and how I kind of conceptualize it is anything that gets in the way from the individual actualizing their talent domains. I want to kind of talk about interventions, possible interventions. That's always one of the first things that a uh, parent would be asking in this sort of a situation, right? And I think parents also need to know that it's a really tough question to answer, right? Because there are so many ways to be twice exceptional or thrice exceptional. It's not like any one intervention is really going to help your child thrive. How, how would you respond to the intervention question? I completely agree. And the other problem that we face is that there is not a lot of research on twice exceptional children specifically. Now, the whole body of research in child psychology is pretty vast, but do we know if those interventions apply to high-ability children? So I'll take autism for an example. Autism is one of the most researched neurodevelopmental disorders that we've identified. And there are journals dedicated to autism. There are large grants dedicated to autism research. But we put all of these kids with autism into one group. And we say that all the kids have autism spectrum disorder. Well, I'm a firm believer that if you have high ability with autism, you look very different than a child who has lower cognitive functioning with autism spectrum disorder. And so interventions that may work with someone who has high ability, that may be completely different than an intervention that might work with someone who has lower ability. Another example is you have a twice exceptional child with autism. They may have completely different needs than a high ability child who has, say, like your example, a child with dyslexia. So it is very, very hard to 
identify and then to provide best practice intervention because of just what you said, the diversity within the twice exceptional population is very large. Given that, let's sort of change our frame then a little bit. I think parents, regardless of the twice exceptionality, probably do run into sort of common barriers in trying to get school-based services for their children. What are some of those barriers in your experience? I think we've already talked about a big one, which is just the conception that either you have strengths or you have weaknesses, right? And you can't have both. That's obviously a huge psychological barrier. But are there other things that these parents and students run into in schools? Definitely. I think one of the most challenging things that a parent faces if their child is high ability or gifted and has a learning disability, for example, is the learning disability is not low enough, for example. So the child's gifts help compensate for their weaknesses. So if they have dyslexia, those reading scores aren't low enough to let them qualify for intervention. So they skate by, skate by because they're in the quote unquote normal range. So they're not low enough to get intervention. And then it's not until they hit a wall when they're say, I can think of one case uh, of a person who got to medical school before his dyslexia was diagnosed. So because of their gifts, their compensation strategies are so impressive that the parents see a problem, but the schools don't have the means to intervene because the scores aren't low enough. There's also parallels when we're working with uh, students who aren't native English speakers, too, and that a very bright student who's learning English isn't going to score well on, say, vocabulary tests, but they're going to score too well to really qualify for more extensive services to help them learn English faster, right? So they're sort of stuck in this twilight zone where they can't get the help that they need. What should a family do in that situation then where the compensation strategies are actually working really well, but it's masking a problem? That's a great question, and it's one I struggle with a lot from a social justice lens because my answer is expensive. So my answer is I think a comprehensive assessment can be the best sort of problem-solving tool we have to figure out the child's strength domains as well as their areas of difficulty. So you'll be able to see those intra-individual differences, or what I mean by that, the scores that are really high in conjunction with the scores that are very low. So even though the lower scores may still be in that normal range or average, they're much lower than the child's potential. So for a parent, it can be really empowering that somebody else understands the sort of things that they've been seeing at home. But what's complicated is that a lot of schools don't do comprehensive evaluations anymore. And so parents seek private services like at the Bell and Blank Center to get these evaluations. So what if you're poor? And we at the center talk a lot about that, how we make our evaluations more affordable. But at the same time, we have to pay our psychologists who work there. So it's a really tough situation. And Megan, are there other barriers and problems that these families often face in schools? Well, I think understanding is a very large barrier. So just like we talked about at the beginning, really wrapping your brain around what it means to have high ability and struggles within the same person, 
I think that a lot of teachers in general education don't know what a twice exceptional student is. So if you say the word twice exceptional, they have no idea what you're talking about. And so a lot of those kids are missed because that concept just isn't something that they are familiar with. And there's been some research to demonstrate that if kids are identified for special education first, they're just not going to be identified for gifted education, whereas our gifted educators are getting much, much better because they're more familiar with these concepts in finding kids who are struggling. So they have a child in their gifted ed classroom who's really struggling to pay attention, for example, and so they see that and more often make referrals for an ADHD evaluation. So it sometimes depends on what's identified first. Hmm. Let's say that there's a parent listening who has some concerns or just wants to learn more about this topic in general. Are there certain places that you would point them to where they could start learning more about this? There are resources available. The Twice Exceptional newsletter is a great resource. Now, there is a small fee. I think it's around $30 or something for a year prescription subscription. And it's published, I believe, every other month. And they interview parents and clinicians and scholars who are all interested in twice exceptionality, and they provide information about conferences and trainings around the country. They also do a monthly blast where they scour the internet to find resources for parents about disability and about high ability. So that is, I think, my number one go-to resource. Megan, thanks so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. No problem. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Bright Now. Megan Foley-Nickpon is a counseling psychology professor at the University of Iowa and a psychologist and researcher at the Bellin Blank Center for Gifted Education and Talent Development. What else would you like us to talk about on Bright Now? Write to us at brightnowpodcast at gmail.com let us know. That's brightnowpodcast, one word, at gmail.com. Tune in next time. Until then, I'm Jonathan Plucker. Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced K-12 students around the world. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.